Our Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together. Quiet our hearts and our minds so that we better understand your word tonight. And bless Michael and David for bringing us together like this. In the name of your Son, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. If you would open your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. And we'll read the text first, and then we can get into the nitty-gritty, as they say. And Sylvia, can I call on you to read? Sure, how far? From uh, verse 11 of chapter 2 to the end, verse 29. That's verse 11 to 29. Okay, for there is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned outside of Torah will also perish outside of Torah, and all who have sinned according to Torah will be judged by Torah. For it is not the hearers of Torah who are righteous before God, rather it is the doers of Torah who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the Torah do by nature the things of the Torah, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the Torah. They show that the work of the Torah is written in their hearts, their conscience-bearing witness, and their thoughts switching between accusing or defending them on the day when God judges the secrets of men according to my good news through Messiah Yeshua. But if you call yourself Jewish and rely upon the Torah and boast in God and know he will and de- His will and determine what matters, because you are instructed from the Torah, and you are sure that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in the darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the Torah the embodiment of knowledge and the truth. You then, who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach not to steal, do you steal? You who say not to commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob temples? You who take pride in the Torah, through your violation of the Torah, do you dishonor God? For as it is written, the name of God is slandered among the nations because of you. Circumcision is indeed worthwhile if you keep the Torah, but if you break the Torah, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcised keeps the righteous decrees of the Torah, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Indeed, the one not circumcised physically who fulfills the Torah will judge you, who even though, who even with the written code and circumcision break the Torah. For one is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision something visible in the flesh. Rather, the Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, in spirit, not in letter. His praise is not from men, but from God. Thank you. Some pretty tough stuff. And I wanted to start by, as I do on occasion, of reviewing, because I felt like there were some good points that were made. And I don't know who was here last week and who wasn't. But I feel like they were very strong points and they're worth going over in the review section. So does anybody remember why Rabbi Haim said Rome was a significant place for Paul to go to, to write this letter? Why was Rome significant? And anybody can answer. It's not 
it's like we're not like limited if someone knows the answer say it I mean did we all forget in one week was it that tough a week I know it was for some of us but I mean um, one of the things that we were talking about when it came to Rome and to the different places Paul was always praying and asking the spirit to lead him and we said that it was a, there was a strategy to Rome because Rome was what in that particular day? Does anybody know? The center of the empire. It was the center of the empire. So if you got something through to Rome, it stands to reason what would happen. It would spread. It would definitely spread. It would definitely spread. So Paul used a strategy here in writing this letter to the Romans because he wanted them to understand and he wanted by in turn, like, like what we sometimes say, it's not about us and about us learning things. It is important and it does build us up. But also it's important that you share what you learn with others so that others can be built up and changed as well and be challenged. And what were some of the challenges that Rome said? There were two specific ones. You know, we always look at the letters and we know, you know, at Corinth there was a challenge with unity. And, and, and over and over again we see that there was conflicts in Philippi and asceticism was an issue in Colossae. What were some of the issues that Paul talked about in Rome that were challenging for them? Well, there was two things we talked about. One of them was... Judgment. Because over and over again we see the word judgment being used in the text. All the way beginning in this chapter, all the way out to Romans chapter 14 and beyond. And then we also saw the issue that over and over again... Pride. Pride was an issue over and over again, and arrogance. Paul was saying, don't be arrogant. Don't be proud. And so those were some of the issues that Paul is looking to address. Now, does anyone know what I might mean by the stewardship of knowledge? What is God getting at there? What might I be referring to or thinking about? Well, knowledge comes to us all, and we have a choice what we're going to do with that knowledge. We can either do one of two things. We can obey it, or what? Ignore. ignore it. And what happens if we ignore it? You're accountable. You're accountable, but in one sense, God will bring judgment into your life. And that's kind of what Romans 1 is all about. People that ignore God, in a sense. And Rabbi Ham was talking about that. They're not willing to hear and accept the knowledge of God. And throughout Romans 1, you can look at this over and over again, that they chose not to listen to what God had to say. So God would bring different forms of judgment into their life. And then we talked about the idea of... We talked about the idea of what a diatribe was. Does anybody remember that Romans, this portion of Romans that we're talking about, is a diatribe? A series of arguments. 
that's based on previous discussions. Okay. And Rabbi also said it's an argument against an imaginary opponent. Okay. Oh, now we, now we have the listening coming out again. Good. So, in a sense, yes, the, it's a diatribe form of argument that he was making over and over as if he's arguing with an imaginary opponent because he had already seen these kinds of arguments before and he, in a sense, knows what kind of answers they're already going to give to some of the issues he's going to talk about. So the last portion we talked about was specifically Romans 2.4. And if someone wants to read that, and we specifically talked about the value of mercy. What does Romans 2.4 tell us? Got it. <clears throat> okay. For do you belittle the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? So we talked a lot about this last week, Greg, and I don't know if you're with us, but why is mercy so important? Well, as he was reading to us, mercy is the train track if we're following the train, that will lead us to repentance. What is repentance? Turning around. Turning around. You're going one direction, and then you want to go another direction. The rabbis talk about three different R words when it comes to repentance. There's a form of regret, that you regret your behavior. There's a, a sense of reject, I'm going to stop this behavior. And then there's a sense of resolve. I'm going to do something else. Because it's not enough to stop the behavior. It's enough to start doing something right. Isaiah points that out. He says, stop doing evil, learn to do good. And so it's kind of the idea that it's a twofold thing. Not only are you turning from one way, but now you're going to make a turn and go the opposite way from which you were going. So those are some things that help us to understand what is repentance a little bit easier because sometimes people need more specific building blocks. I regret the behavior I'm doing, I reject the behavior I'm doing, and I say this for myself at least, I reject the behavior I'm doing and I resolve I'm not going to do that behavior anymore, whatever the behavior is, whatever the sin looks like in our life. And part of that last part, we can try to do on our own, but we're always going to be destined to fail if our resolution doesn't include who? God. God, especially the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help us to resolve how we are repentance. But it all starts with the fact that we have mercy, that God puts up with us for so long. Sometimes we don't realize that he's been putting up with us for so long or maybe that his kindness instead of a lot of people say I'll get it when God hits me with the two by four kind of approach I get it then but God doesn't always like to use the two by four approach he's a gentle God he wants us to hear it sometimes by word or by prayer or even by a good friend who really loves us and says you need to stop going that way whatever it might be and so that's where it's a challenge how it comes to us. It can come to us in many different ways. So that's just like a basic review 
of some of the topics that we kind of covered last week. And if you look at the notes, I've kind of divided it into three sections of Romans. Nothing particularly um, spiritual about this. Just that's where the paragraphs broke. And it seemed to make a lot of sense to Michael when Michael sat down to do the study. And so um, we see that in this section, Paul begins to talk about judgment. Specifically, at this point, we know that he's addressing mostly the Jews. But there are things that can apply to all of us. And I like to sometimes go backwards and say, how do we know what judgment really looks like? And this, this is a principle that I learned called the first mention principle, or the first time we see it. The first time we see judgment in the Bible is Genesis chapter 1. Did you know that? That's the first time judgment comes to us in the Bible. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1 and verses 3 through 5. I think for most of us it's at the beginning. And Steve Cable, I think I heard, would you be willing to read that for us? When you get there. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. So God distinguished the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So there was evening and there was morning one day. So here we see three things happening. Okay? And they're all the God things. These are all the things that God is doing. We see first that God says... And this is pretty common. God will say something. Sometimes it might be a commandment. And then we come, and what is the next thing that God does? He sees. God comes to check out the situation. Are you doing what God said? Simply, That's what he's going to do. He's going to come and see if you're doing it. And then the last thing he's going to do is he's going to differentiate, or as Steve says, distinguish. Okay? And so God says, I like this thing called light. I'm going to give it a name, and I'm going to call it day. Okay? And the part that's dark, I'm going to call night. And we see God making a very clear distinction. And when it comes to judgment throughout the whole Bible, you can take the same type of formula. God first will tell you, this is what I told Israel to do. I came and checked it out. Was Israel doing what God was saying to do? Many times it was no. Sometimes it was yes. And then God says, okay, now I'm going to make a distinction. You're going to be here or God's going to put you here. And remember, We have to keep in mind, not all judgment is bad. That's a lot of times how we get that idea, though. All judgment's got to be bad. But sometimes, as we see in this portion of Genesis several times, the light was good. The light was good. God saw the light. The light was good. And over and over again, he says the word tov, good. This was good. And at the very end, when he speaks of man and woman, he says, 
Tov Meod. Very good. Very good. And so over and over again, God is making a <coughs> distinction. And it's important to get that because a lot of people already have the concept, when God judges you, it's bad. It's bad. But there can also be good kinds of judgment. Well, good, well done, good and faithful servant. And so it's important just to understand that's just a simple principle of how we look at how God judges. And it's very simple and easy to remember at times, but it's important because a lot of times we don't have a clear understanding that God has a standard by which He's going to judge things. And so we tend to think that judgment is always going to be a tough thing or hard for us to get our arms around. But it's something that's very simple and very easy to understand. And God, throughout this portion, this first portion, He's wanting to understand, and part of the problem, I don't know if this was clear last week, but Rabbi Haim was starting to get to this idea that when Paul is talking here about Israel and the Gentiles, he was saying one has a covenant and the other one didn't. And the Jews had the covenant and the Gentiles... God simply wants to communicate with them. <clears throat> and so, one thing that's creative about God, if you don't listen to what He's saying to you, God will say, okay, we're going to try the communication a different way. Okay? You didn't listen this way, so let's see if we can get you to listen this way. And that's kind of one of the things that God does. We can either listen to what he has to say and obey it, or we can come around and God will tell us something a different way, or he'll reveal something to us a different way in order to get our attention. It's never like, I'm going to destroy you. So one of the things that we have to understand first is covenant is implied. And I hope everyone, I'm assuming everyone understands, when they made a decision to be with the Lord, they were making a decision to be in a covenant. Does everybody understand that? Yes. Some people might not. It might not be clear. But there are the proof texts here of, of Luke 22, 20 and Jeremiah 31. When you made a decision to be with God, you decided to be in a covenant with God. So God makes the way of how He transmits the covenant. He transmits it simply to people in their own language. To people at one time, the covenant was you would walk through bloody pieces of animal carcass. That was one way he com communicated a covenant. Another way was he would write it down and he would show it to the people. So every time God uses covenants throughout the Bible, throughout history, God is always wanting to use a medium that we understand. What medium does God use to speak to us today? That's one of them. We have His Word. How else does God speak to us? He sends messengers. Right. Messengers. We get other people. Anything else? Holy Spirit. Definitely the Holy Spirit. What else? Was that it? Your conscience. Your conscience. And that's going to come over here with the Gentiles. But God can definitely use that as well. But that's the main thing He uses with the Gentiles. Because the Gentiles at this time, 
that Paul's referring to don't have the word of God. They don't have the Torah specifically, he's saying in these verses. But yes, conscience is another way. And there's also prayer. Prayer should be over here, and I hope I'm not writing over anything else. But prayer is also a way. If you're praying before the Lord and you're quiet, God will speak. Because prayer sometimes, even though it sometimes feels like a monologue, God may show you some interesting things while you're praying to Him, if you're willing to hear. If you're willing to hear. And so all of these things God uses, and we speak back to God through prayer, obviously. That's how God, we're able to communicate back. God, and trust me, God is really interested in hearing from everyone in this room. If you don't have time to pray, make time to pray. Every day. Because God wants to know the thoughts and intents of your heart. We pray for an hour here. This is the commercial part of the message. The, we pray an hour here every, mo- every Wednesday night. We pray for about 30 minutes on Shabbat morning. If you want to come and pray with us, we want to invite you and to welcome you. Because we are a congregation that prays and prays and prays some more. So if you're not praying, that's something that you can come and do with us if you want to, or you can do make time and do it for yourself. But it's way God can hear from you, and He is never, never tired of hearing from you. He always wants to hear from you. So, the Gentiles hear via the conscience. How does their conscience work? Is it like Jiminy Cricket on the shoulder? Michael, you messed up over here. Is it like Fred Flintstone where he's got the angel on this side and the devil on that side? What is, how does conscience work? Has anybody ever thought about it? Mm-hmm. A gut level feeling. A gut level feeling? That's one, yeah. I would say that's a good way of putting it. It's a gut level feeling. And as the text tells us, it, it, it convicts us. It tells us we're doing something wrong. Or it can also tell us you're doing something right. Do this. You need to do this. You need to stay and help this person. You need to stop and pray for this person. Whatever it looks like. It's something that God uses. And there are people that don't know why, but they say... And, and I love this too because we always talk about there's got to be a tribe somewhere in Africa that's never been reached by God. But God still uses their conscience. And they'll know what is the right thing to do and what is the wrong thing to do based on their conscience. Based on their conscience. Because God isn't limited to a covenant or to a Bible He can reach who He wants to reach how He wants to. It's been done in visions and dreams in the night. And it's done through our conscience by saying, this thought is right, this thought is wrong. And we see that all humanity at the end of time will be judged by Messiah. Messiah will judge every thought and intent. And so if we've taken the gospel, what is the gospel? The good news. It is good news if you hear it. What happens if you don't hear the good news? Did you ever think about what the gospel is then? 
still good news. It's still good news, but it can also be bad news. Because if you don't hear what God is trying to tell you, then it can also be speaking of God's judgment coming in your life. And so it's very interesting those that won't hear the good news that are turned off if you say even the J word, as they sometimes say, or as we here at Yeshua Tzion say the Y word. If you say Yeshua and, or Jesus and someone gets offended, you know that that's the bad news because they have a connotation that that's bad, that that's a bad thing. And in that sense, it is kind of a bad news to them because they're not willing to hear. They're not willing to hear. And their conscience one day will also judge them because God will say, I sent this person to you and he wanted to talk to you, but you weren't interested in listening. You weren't interested in listening. And because you didn't listen, you're going to be judged on that alone. And God does have the ability to redeem situations that are tough, but he's also interested in redeeming every situation. And he wants to be our redeemer. He wants to be the Lord. And when he redeems, he kind of has the right to go forth and tell us how he wants things done at that point. You know, have you ever heard, it's not enough to love him, but it's enough to serve him as well. You have to be willing to make him the Lord of your not life and not just the love of your life. And sometimes that's hard for a lot of people because we like to do what we want to do and we don't always like to do what God is trying to tell us. And so it's important that we understand moving into the next section that we're going to be challenged by the Word. The Word at times is going to bring good things and it's going to be things too that are going to be tough for us to understand. And that's why I call this section the pitfalls of revelation. Has anybody learned something and then they're like, I wish I didn't know that now. Yeah. <laughs> I hear a, a few nods and a few giggles. And there are pitfalls to Revelation. And as we were talking, does anybody remember what Rabbi Haim said last week about how many times is the Torah mentioned in this section? Well, I counted. <laughs> Good <laughs> well, for I you. you I'm on the CD like he said. Um, well, depending on, it's 20 or 21. Okay. And 21, if you're using, I use the word lawbreaker. Okay. When he said count law, so that would be 21. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the point is these people knew the Torah pretty well, wouldn't you say not? Most of these people, Paul's making a definite discussion here with what he feels are people that know the Torah and know it well. And I want to I say at times, there are always benefits to knowing God's Word. We're always going to know His truth. We're always going to know what His character looks like. There's going to be the understanding of holiness. Because some things God makes very clear. This is holy and you don't mess with it. And so this section, though it's speaking to the Jews, it can be applied to all of us. Because at times we all learn truth, and that truth makes us feel really good. And sometimes it makes us feel so good that we forget how nice God was to show us that truth. And now we like to take that truth and we're going to say, I'm going to go beat someone up with this now. 
and straighten them out because they need the straightening out, right? And I know there are lots of people that need straightening out, but if it's not my assignment to straighten them out, then I'm not to go and really go looking to beat them over the head. And it's important because a lot of people come into our movement, in the Messianic movement, and they say, you know what, you guys have the real truth. You have the real truth. This is just what we were waiting for. And they even come to the point of saying, everything I learned before from the church must have been garbage. And I challenge everybody, when you study and you learn something, don't be afraid to share it with somebody. Don't be afraid to share it with somebody. Because that's the challenge at times. We learn truths and we only keep them to ourselves. Or we think this truth is just for us. And we get into thinking that's not always of the Lord. And God, one of the truths that God revealed through the Torah was that there was a special role that Israel had. Israel was to be the special light. And I want to look at Isaiah 49. Just to be clear, if anyone was questioning Michael's what he said there, is the absolute opposite of what we think. Correct. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's the exact opposite. We are not feeling like we've arrived or that you throw out truth that you've learned before. It's really important. God is using both His people, the Jews, and using both people in the body of Messiah the church. And we believe that God has a special place for each of them to use both of them. And we don't feel like we are having a monopoly on truth. And that if you follow us, then you're this God's special kids or something. There's a lot of people that do come in and they really believe this kind of stuff. And it's important because a lot of these things that we're talking about come back to the idea of identity and calling. And you have to be comfortable with who you are in the Lord. And know why God has made you that way. And what, in some ways, is your special purpose that God has given for you and to you to be with us. And not everyone that comes through the door is meant to be with us. But it's important that they know where we stand on these things. Thank you, Rabbi David. I appreciate you clarifying that. Because that that is definitely important value for people to understand. Okay, so Isaiah 49 in verses 3 through 6, and I think I had a volunteer in John. All right. Isaiah 49, 3 through 6. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is doing is in the Lord's hand. And my reward is in my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, to gather himself Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So this section, which is an important section of Scripture, because it's talking in balance what I feel is definitely needed. First, that Israel started from very humble beginnings and was to be the servant. But over time, Israel was to become the light. 
to the nations. You see that progression throughout these verses. We see this back in the Torah in Deuteronomy and in Exodus that God wanted to use His people to be a light to the nations. And from that at times, Israel got prideful about it. And they saw themselves as very good and very beautiful because they kept God's commandments. And at times they looked at themselves and said, we keep commandments and the other people don't, so therefore we must be more special or more blessed. And even though that might be true on some level, it's important to know that God was the source. God was the one that was blessing them the whole time. And they needed to understand it wasn't just the keeping of the commandments, but more it was the relationship. The relationship that they had with their God. And that's an important piece of this whole section, is understanding who we are in relationship with God. What we do does matter, but that's always got to be in the front and foremost. How we are dealing and how God deals with us all stems from how, what kind of relationship in which we give ourselves to Him and He gives our, Himself to us. And if we don't have the, the understanding of that, if we don't have that clearly understood, when we look at God's Word, when we handle God's Word, there will be challenges in which to begin to think it's us. It's us doing it. It's us being the good stuff. And we will be challenged because we will see it in our own eyes. We will see that, that the knowledge is what's bringing us goodness. We will see that the revelation and that the keeping in what we do brings us things. And we lose sight of the relationship. And I believe that's what Paul is getting at in most of these verses in talking his diatribe. Is that he's challenging these people to look beyond. Look beyond and look back to the relationship instead of what they were doing in what their relationship was like with God. Because the thing that always can, can trip us up is first knowing that we can be tripped up. Is that something that you can relate to? Knowing that you yourself can be tripped up if you're not careful to keep your eyes on the relationship with God. And so I look at myself first by saying, I know that I can be tripped up by many things, and not just because I'm blind, but because I know that God has to be looking out for me as well. I know that thy relationship with Him has to be the most important thing. And so, when even when I go out to just walk down my street or out to my mailbox, I know that I've got to be careful and I've got to be always putting God in the forefront of what I'm wanting to do. And it has to be the same way. When we begin to see things in our own eyes, then we make judgments and we begin to think, this has to be good because I thought of it. Or I came to the knowledge of it. Or this was revealed to me. And that's very, we have to be very careful. One of the things that both Adam and Eve struggled with was not that they had eaten the fruit, because that was disobedient, but it was that they had knowledge in their own eyes 
to make judgment and they stop relying on God for judgment. And it's a very easy thing to say, I can decide for myself now what I think is right and holy. And that's the thing we all have to be on guard of. That's why all those things, staying in God's Word, praying, being in fellowship with other people, all of those things are important because we can be deceived. And we see that Paul goes on in this section to speak about specific areas of hypocrisy where he says, do you still, do you preach against stealing, but you still? Do you speak about committing adultery and, and talk about how it's wrong, but then go around and turn and commit adultery? And that's the challenge for each of us is to learn that we still have to have that relationship. We grow as we're connected to God in His knowledge and His grace, not by our own deeds and our own abilities. And he does mention some of the tough ones. Stealing, he mentions adultery, he mentions idolatry. And so it's important to understand knowledge is meant to help us, but it also can be something that puffs us up. Something that can easily puff us up and make us feel good. And that's kind of, I think, part of what Paul's getting at in this particular area when he's speaking to the Jewish people, uh, saying you don't want to look and think you're, you've arrived because you have some truth, you have some understanding. It's really the relationship with God and knowing who His character is that is the thing that gets us to what we want. Everything is, is nothing, in a sense, if we don't understand the relationship. The relationship always has to be the building block by which we build from. Otherwise, all these other things, knowledge, truth, they can be things that can trip us up and be pitfalls to our walk with God. Is there any questions or comments on this section? Okay, the next section, the last section in a sense, and I, I questioned whether or not to keep going into chapter 3, but I felt like my assignment was to stay here. And in this last part of chapter 2, in verse, starting in verses 25 to 29, we see Paul talking about circumcision, and we see him talking, making something very clear. Now it's not known, like I said, it's not known if circumcision was a problem, because we don't see it addressed over and over. But we do see chapter 4 talking about Abraham. And we go on. And there's a lot shared in chapter 4. But Paul begins to skim the surface here about circumcision. And we covered this in the second to the last, uh, or I think it was the last teaching on Galatians, where Paul made a similar statement about circumcision was nothing, but a new creation. Does everyone remember that? Or were some of us here for that? Yeah. And part of the understanding here is the same idea, and I think Rabbi David brought it out well, by going back and looking at it in terms of what it said. Part of our relationship always has to be the understanding if we are in relationship with someone, we're not only going to hear what they have to say, but we're going to have a response and that response is going to be obedience. That we're going to hear 
Because that's what the word Shema, if you've been with us and you know the, the Hebrew word Shema, and I would write it in Hebrew, but I think Rabbi David would really not be happy with me. Because there's a sheen, and there's a mem, and I'm not sure if that's looking good. And then there's a really big ein. And I don't know if that, that, that looks similar or if that's horrid. But anyway, Shema is the idea not only to hear, but to hear and respond, to make a response. And that response means I'm going to hear and obey. And you can even teach this to little kids. Have you ever played horsey with a little kid? Little kids love to play horsey. They like climbing on your back and like your back doesn't feel great afterwards. But that's another story. But the point is, is it's like if you, you know, you could say, okay, my reins are going to be my arms. And if you move my arm to the left, then I'll go left. If you move my arm to the right, whatever. And the thing is, is we used to teach our kids about this because we say the horse always has to obey quickly. If he's pulled to the left, he's got to go left. That's just the way. His response has got to be automatic. He's got to be able to move the minute they move left. Not If he waits too long, he'll run into something. And of course, this was, you know, this was fun to illustrate. What if the horse didn't do what you told it to? And he ran into the wall and you'd be like, well, that wouldn't be fun because then your horse would be stuck or whatever. But the horse always had to obey. And it's like, God wants the same obedience. He wants us to obey quickly. He wants us to obey when we hear something and we understand. And so Paul gives this idea of the circumcision in these first verses, talking about the obedience. And when you're in relationship, there's an understanding that you're going to be obedient. The Ten Commandments makes it very clear. There will be blessing to the third and to the fourth generation, to those that love me and keep my commandments. A thousand. I'm sorry, to a thousand. I'm sorry, you're right, to a thousand generations. And then John 15, 14, we say it every week here on, I'm sorry, 14, 15. I'm not looking at my notes right. John 14, 15, which says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. And so we say those things every week because part of the relationship that's implied, when you're in a relationship with somebody, you're going to be obedient. You're going to be obedient. And that's part of what God is after, is after us. And He doesn't want us just to be obedient because some people are like, I'm obedient because it's the right thing to do. But it's, it's more than just that. It's more than just that. It has to become more than just an obligation. There has to be both the heart and the mind involved in what you're saying and what you're doing with the Lord. And so God doesn't want us to get to the point where we're like, okay, I'm going to be, be obedient and I'm not even going to think about it. That's, that's good on some level because it's automatic. But on the other hand, it can also be bad because you're not understanding why you're making that obedient choice. You want to be having intent in your relationship with the Lord and knowing what that means in a sense of, I love the Lord and I intend to do what He says because He loves me too. And so it's important that you learn to have an intent that goes with that. Oh, an intent that goes with that. Michael? Yes. How is um, circumcision being used in that verse 25? So in other words, when Paul says it's worthwhile if you keep the Torah, but if you break the Torah, your circumcision is like uncircumcision. 
He's saying that it won't do you any good. It won't do you any good. Who was circumcised typically in the Torah? The Jewish person, the Jewish male. Uh, what kind of Jewish male? The firstborn son. I mean, the male, the male. How old male. was that male? Eight days old. Eight days old. So does that eight-day-old know much about obedience at that point? No. So part of the picture here is that was kind of the intention that we see behind the circumcision. What grew from that, though, was the understanding that we see in Exodus chapter 12, which was connected with what feast? Pesach. Pesach. And so because of that, because of those commands said in Exodus chapter 12, it became a type of thing, if you're really going to come into the community and be serious, you have to be circumcised. I don't think that's what God was after at that particular time. He wasn't saying, from now on, anyone that comes into the community has to be circumcised that way. Well, what I'm, what I'm wondering is, when he says it becomes to you like uncircumcision, is he saying you become as one who is not part of the covenant? I mean, what exactly is he saying? I think it's simple. If you're not going to be obedient, what, it, what value is it then? What value is it? Because part of the situation is you still have to keep all of the Torah if that's what you're looking to do. If you're still looking to be justified by Torah, it says you have to keep all the Torah, not just the ones that you wanted to keep. And so part of what I think Paul's saying here is, if that is your means for justification, bringing yourself and making yourself righteous before God, he's saying, I believe that you cannot just do that, but you also are required to do more. It goes back to the idea of the relationship first and foremost. Does that make sense? I, I don't know that entirely answers my question. Okay. What's your question? One my question time. is, when he says, he says circumcision is, circumcision is worthwhile, right? Now, when the circumcision, um, the circumcision, uh, doesn't, am I, I'm drawing a blank here, uh, circumcision meant you were part of the... You, does it have to do with the land? No. Did it have to do with the covenant? It did have to do with the covenant. All right. So he's saying a person who is circumcised, it's only worthwhile to you if you keep the Torah. So if you don't keep the Torah, if you break it, your circumcision then is useless. It's like as if you weren't circumcised. But I, I'm trying to think practically, what does that mean to the Jewish person who is circumcised. Now, you talked about justification. You said, if... Let me backtrack. I'm, I'm sorry about this. I'm very tired. That's okay. But, um, he's saying that the circumcision is worthwhile if I keep the Torah. If I don't keep the Torah, then it's as if I were an un uncircumcised person. And an uncircumcised person, who, in other words, a person who isn't part of the covenant, if he keeps the righteous requirements of the Torah, then it would be as if he were circumcised. So that, that means then he's more in line with the covenant, he's more like a covenant person. Yes, yes person, he is, because he's doing person, by his conscience. So that's why I'm asking you. So then if the Jewish person, who is the circumcised person, who, who breaks the Torah... So have you been here for the whole study? Because one of the things we were talking about was the um, stewardship of knowledge. Yes, I was here for that. Okay, and one of the points we were making, the stewardship of knowledge, was that if you know what God is showing you, 
God was, your response was that you were going to obey. Does that make sense? I know that if you, when knowledge means responsibility. It can be. You're now accountable for the knowledge that you have. Correct. Right. So the circumcised person, of course, they, they have the Torah as well. And so they're responsible for that knowledge that they have. But this is higher. This comes first. That idea of obeying what you know is what Paul, I believe, is building upon. If you're not going to obey what you know, and you're just going to look at circumcision as being your only point, then that's not going to cut it. The relationship has to be there. Does that make sense? Well, I understand all that. What I'm saying is... Can, can I say something here? Sure, yes. So, a Jewish boy, it is circumcised, so just to be circumcised when he was eight years old. Right? Eight days old. Eight, eight days old. Later on, the boy it is introduced to the Torah and start learning about the law of God once he was circumcised. That if you circumcise and you don't learn the law, or you don't obey the law, the circumcision don't, don't do nothing to you. It, it, it becomes nothing. The law itself and the awareness of yourself and the relationship that you have with God and the honesty that you have with you, God, and your heart with Him is what I make uh, is what is what I, what I make it right. It but is, even before, even before the Torah, even before you get to the Torah, the revelation of God, there still has to be that relationship. In other words, when Israel came out of Egypt, did they have the Torah yet? No. Okay. And where did they go? They went to Mount Sinai, right? And there they received the Torah. But before that, God had already had a relationship. And he was coming back to that relationship, the covenant promises that were made to both Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Back in the book of Genesis, in a sense. Because each one of them made a covenant with God. And, the, and God, even though Israel wasn't actively, in some ways you could say they were, in other ways you could say, well, maybe some of them were and some of them weren't. But the point is there was a relationship before even the Torah even before the Torah, and the idea of circumcision being a means of justification. So, if you are setting aside the relationship, and you're looking to stand on my observance of Torah commands, or my um, circumcision, as being the thing that makes you righteous, and you're setting aside the relationship, it's not going to work. It's like how you worry, man, uh, when you marry it, it means nothing to you. Or you take your wedding band when it's convenient to you. Does that make sense, or does that help clarify some of it? Or are you talking to me? I'm talking to you. I don't. I'm not sure. It's quite. It's fine. It's, okay. It's all right. So, because one of the things I think that's really a point here is that idea of the relationship. The relationship has to be at the center, and Paul will get more into the idea of circumcision and its purpose and its idea when he gets into chapter 4 talking specifically with Abraham. But in these five verses, he's talking specifically about what it means to have a relationship and saying that circumcision didn't mean anything if you're not willing to do the relationship. 
Now, in verses 28 and 29, we have another interesting piece. Does someone want to read those verses again? I feel that that is worthwhile. Irene. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Okay. So this might help bring some of the clarification to where you're coming from, maybe. I'm hoping. Maurice. Yes. Okay, so in this section, Paul is saying it's not enough to have the physical act of circumcision. It has to be something that goes deep within us. And remember, the context here, for the most part, he's speaking to which group of people? Jews. Jews, correct. So then he says that it has to be of the heart, and that heart condition is what God has always been after. God is always interested in what is going on with our heart. If he gets the heart, he gets all of us. And on the other hand, the Gentiles have taken this verse to mean, I'm a spiritual Jew then. What do I mean by that? Why would someone think they're a spiritual Jew? Because they have a changed heart. Right. Is that all it means to be a spiritual Jew? And that's not what Paul's trying to get at here. Some people say, I'm a spiritual Jew, and that's good enough. And therefore, we don't really have to worry about the physical Jews. And this is something we go more in depth with in the membership process, in the membership class, which, another commercial, if you're interested, starting July 11th, we will be teaching the membership class for those that want to go deeper and understand more of what do we believe as a Messianic congregation. What is our vision? And whether or not you want to be a part of it. Some people go through the membership class just to find out things. But it doesn't make someone a spiritual Jew just because they be, go undertake this idea of having a transformation in their heart. God has always been interested in the heart. And that's what I really believe that Paul is making another case for here, of saying it's not enough if you're looking to do something outwardly, if you're looking to do something that will, in a sense, justify you outwardly, and that's good enough. And we have to guard against that even in our sense if we're part of the church, because the church can do that too. If we baptize enough people, if we have enough people at the altar call, we can start getting into what we do as the church and miss the sense of, are we doing things that make a difference in people's hearts? That make a difference on the inside? And God's the one who has to be at the front and at the center of that. It's not enough. It's not enough. And so on one hand, it's important for the Jews to know physical acts are not the only thing that make you just before God. God has always been interested in your heart condition and how you love and serve Him. And as for the Gentiles, 
It's not enough to be in the heart condition. God also expects you to do things the right way. But it's because you are saved, not because it makes you saved. It's important because people do believe if I do enough good stuff, it'll somehow trip the scales and they'll be on the other side and they'll eliminate all the bad stuff I've done in life. And God doesn't work that way. God doesn't look at it and say, if you do enough good stuff for me, it'll outweigh all the bad stuff you've done. That's not what repentance and justification are all about. It always starts inwardly. And it has to be something that takes place first and foremost in our heart. Is there any other questions about this section? I don't have much more to share. And so I want to make sure to, if there's any other questions. I have a question if no one asks us. Okay. Does anybody ask that one? No? Um, would you, are you saying, Paul is saying here, now he's talking about the Jew. Is he saying that in a sense, okay, so first of all he's saying the circumcision is um, evidence or should be a symbolism of our relationship to God. The Jewish relationship, the Jew is in covenant with God through this um, circumcision. Right? Okay. So what he's saying is, but, your but the outward circumcision really is a, a symbol of the inner truth, the, that it's a circumc my circumcision of the heart, the circumcision of the heart shows that I am in my heart in covenant relationship with God. And the outward circumcision is a symbol of that? It has to be the inward first, followed by the outward. Somewhat akin to, I'm not saying it is exactly like it, but somewhat akin to when I have been <coughs> come into relationship with God, regardless, but I'm Jew or Gentile, and I have been spiritually sort of buried with him in his death and risen with him, and then I am yes. first... Yes, very similar to Tevila, yes. The Tevila is an indication of an inward reality. Is Paul saying here that circumcision needs to be the same sort of thing? It has to be the beginning point of that, yes. Who? For an eight-year-old boy... Eight-day boy. Eight-year-old boy. Sorry. An eight-day-year-old... An eight-day-year-old boy. An eight-day-old boy. I guess the year thing got to go. <laughs> an eight-day boy. Who's doing the act? The parents. Absolutely. It has nothing, absolutely nothing. My son was circumcised at eight days old. It has nothing to do with his heart. It has nothing to do with his commitment to the Lord. It has nothing to do with his commitment to God. Where the change and what takes place is what it is in his heart. The other child, let's say, is not circumcised. That doesn't make that doesn't make him. In, it doesn't make him in or out the same way that if if we baptize you 15 times, that doesn't make you any more saved or unsaved. It's what your belief is with with Christ and where, or with Yeshua and where you stand with that. That's what that's that's where everything else comes from. The rest of it is either outward or inward doesn't matter. It's whether or not it's centered on on Yeshua. Does that make sense? Well, are you differing from something I've said? I'm not really sure um, 
not that I'm opposed to what you're saying, but I don't know if I understand exactly what you're you, coming from. You can't, in other words, the whole premise of this... Of the, what? The whole premise of, of what we've just read, the last, the last 17 verses, uh -huh. the whole premise behind it isn't whether or not somebody is is circumcised or not circumcised, whether or not they're part of covenant, not part of covenant, that what I feel, and maybe I'm wrong, but what I feel that it, that Paul is saying is where does your where does your heart stand and why does and why does your heart stand? And the reason why your heart the reason why you do good things, I can go out and do a thousand good things, doesn't make doesn't make me a follower of Yeshua. I could go out and be baptized 15,000 times. That doesn't make me a follower of Yeshua. I can be circumcised again and again if possible. That doesn't make me a follower of Yeshua. What makes me a follower of Yeshua is the fact that I believe in Yeshua. Then the acts, both outward and inward, matter and follow. For some reason, John, I am not following... Okay. That's fine. We, yeah. we I do want to respect because we have parents. We have parents. You, we can continue this discussion, but I do want to close because we are at time. There's no explanation before you pray. Just to keep in mind, I'm sorry. We'll have to wait because we have to take kids up downstairs. But I would encourage you to go back and read from chapter one through this section because really, sometimes we we zero in and think this is all talking about circumstances. This is an example. This is talking to to Jews. Also, don't forget that as well. This is not saying, this is not a polemic against not being circumcised, it doesn't matter. This is not, a polemic, this is not a, a, an argument for non-Jewish people to become circumcised in the context of what circumcision was about. So that sometimes, I think, can, can get us off course. So I'd encourage you to go back and read, you know, to, to think about this in terms of the progression of thoughts, progression of all the fallen short. If you think you're, you know, this, is, this is what it's about, really. It's not so much about this detailed description of, does a child know this or that? You know, the bigger picture. You know, so. Would you close first in prayer, Robert David? Oh, sure. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to look into your word and to ultimately to know what you are seeking, which uh, I think that part is clear, that you are, that, that you are seeking a relationship and anything, whether it is circumcision or tibilah, Lord, is really a statement of, a, of, a, of an identification with you and that there's a, a connection that has to be there between anything that's done outwardly. May our, anything that we do outwardly, Lord, may it flow from an inward feeling that we have and an inward, uh, uh, the, the relationship we have with you, Lord. May that be patently obvious above everything else. So we just thank you for this time we've had together. Pray that uh, you would uh, uh, have these words take root in our heart, Lord, and that we would meet again next week. In Yeshua's name, amen.